<laughs> non sequitur. It usually works. Hello and welcome to the Downloadable Concept Podcast. Like a bat out of hell, Foxley will be gone when the morning comes. <laughs> I was trying to think of something to say, but then you made me laugh. I blame you. You can see Talon Lee by the dashboard lights. <laughs> and he's not praying for the end of time, because his wife knows what that song means. <laughs> Bless my soul, I really love that rock and roll. I'm Jeff Wrench. <laughs> I, I was not expecting of all the oh, possible... how did I not sing? Hey, tell him. What have you been playing? Well, I went back into the ancient troves and dusty tomes of Abandoned Ware after our little talk about Zelliard, and I downloaded the original Discworld point-and-click adventure game. Oh, I had a box copy of that, like... You know, with the actual manual and everything. Yeah, yeah, so did I. Um, as a pure point of... Hist- again, another point of historical interest. Uh, Teeny Weeny Games, who are <laughs> responsible for the creation of the Discworld game, are directly connected to the people who went on to make uh, DMA, who are now known as Rockstar, the owners of the Grand Theft Auto franchise. Oh, good grief. So there actually is a very strange lineage there. So you're telling me that someone called them, willingly called themselves Teeny Weeny Games? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Psygnosis was also involved in this. Uh, so Lemmings yeah. and Grand Theft Auto. Them, I recognize. Uh, same uh, universe. Yeah, same, same universe. <laughs> oh, don't you start me on mega continuity. <laughs> I'm not allowed to talk about that on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's mostly Fox yelling at nerds. Yeah, right next to my Ask Me About Fire Emblem button, there is a big badge covered in blood saying, Don't ask me about Zelda continuities. <laughs> Future podcast topics? <laughs> but, Don't take me there! But yeah, Fox, what have you been playing lately? Uh, practically nothing. <laughs> no, seriously, I... <laughs> Ori is still a thing, but aside from that, it, it's well, been a great big nothing week. A little Pokemon Shuffle. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, thing, the thing I was noticing the other night, listening to you play Pokemon Shuffle in bed. It was, no, this was the Frozen no, game. No, that, that's a fucking Frozen free play game I still haven't started playing, because I like Elsa. Uh, <laughs> I'm the worst. <laughs> I am such a fanboy. Yeah, you basically want to play this game just because you want to tug on Elsa's braid a bit. Um, but with, with, um, that's, with that game particularly, there's this amazing sequence of notes it gets while you're getting combos. Yeah, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. And listening to you play it, in the early game, you get this nice flow of boom, 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 boom. And then, as you struggle. Yeah, you can tell the random chance is screwing me up. As you struggle, it goes boom, boom. And there's a part of me, my brain, as I'm sitting there in bed next to you, not playing this game, Twitching as I go, get the third note. <laughs> Where's the boom? Come on. <laughs> so they've, they've clearly done a good job with the aesthetics of the sound design in that game. Yeah, it, look, aesthetically, it has everything going for it. It looks lovely. It plays as nicely as any bejeweled Candy Crush clone thing does. It It's just designed to get money out of you. That's its only real flaw. It, the difficulty <laughs> is aimed at, please fail by two or three turns so you'll be tempted to give us money. <laughs> it sounds like a very carefully tuned game. Hell yes! That's, that's part of what bothers me about it. It's obviously really well tuned. To fuck you! They know exactly what they're doing. Yes! I Now I really want to get uh, Caitlin Gad, the Gatlin Cad, 
on the podcast to talk about her view on free-to-play mechanisms and monetizing creative product, because she has some amazing thoughts on this matter. Oh, that would be good. And she's also just generally amazing and awesome and wonderful. And if she does hear this, there's a part of her that's going to be like, gah, stop saying these things. She would ask me about Fire Emblem. She would totally ask you about (laughs) Fire Emblem. What about you, Jeb? What have you been playing lately? I have been playing uh, Eastside Hockey Manager Early Access Edition. (laughs) That's wonderful. Uh, So, speaking to a pair of Australians here, what is this hockey of which you speak? Hockey? Do you play it with birds? Hockey is for for those for those people who are outside of Canada. Hockey is our national religion. <laughs> uh, it is uh, one of the, the the tenets that our country was formed upon after um, cheap domestic beer and donuts. We're joking, actually. There's a lot of hockey in Australia. Hockey is huge in Australia. Well, girls' hockey. Um, and also we don't have ice. Yeah. So you play field hockey. Which I gather is entirely different because there's less, you know, more running around and less tackling other people into walls. (laughs) I always wanted to play ice hockey. (laughs) Yeah, uh, Australian relationship with hockey is mostly we forget about it until suddenly our team crushes the Olympics. (laughs) And we feel kind of embarrassed (laughs) and ignored it. Ladies can play hockey. Yeah, our, our women's hockey team is amazing. You've been playing, is, is it a management sim, or is it an actual action hockey game like Madden would be? It, it is uh, n- entirely a general management sim. <laughs> uh, you choose one, or if you want to, if you have friends to play with, you can play multiple at multiple teams at the same time uh, from, a ver- one of a ver- from any of a variety of different leagues. You scout players... Uh, you draft them, you trade for well in north america in in North America, you have free agency in European leagues you have transfers like you see in soccer slash football uh, they they have different rule sets for every possible league. Shit, do I need to pretend I know anything about soccer? <laughs> the only thing I know about soccer is that in Japanese middle school it gives you superpowers. <laughs> Well, sometimes in so- in soccer, players get sold to other teams. Yeah, that's a thing that happens, and that's how ho- it works in hockey as well. Yeah, in, oh. in your uh, outside of North America. Boo! <laughs> in North that would America, suck. we have trading and uh, free agency. R- Ronaldo so unhelpfully referred to this as modern day slavery, which is <laughs> slightly untasteful when you consider he was getting sixteen million dollars for it. Yeah, that's that terrible. Like black teammate standing over his shoulder going, I, with the eyes. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure Ronaldo is black. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I'm not allowed to tell him not to say that. <laughs> it, it's a very I, I think issue you can. I think you can because, like you said, 16 million reasons why he shouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also just, I am, I am way too fat, white, middle class living in another country to address that. Well, okay, how With about... a person who actually has some connection to it. Well, okay, well, how about the fact that Sepp Blatter, who is basically a Bond villain without the menace, said more <laughs> or less the same thing. And he is, indeed, a fat, white, rich... Yeah, he's totally ...horrible different. person. I'll take him to town. So, yeah, he's the one who also compared trading players as being like slavery. Wanker. 
But no, in so in, so in hockey, there is some element of free agency. How, does does the game do anything to try and emulate this? Like, is it a historical model, or do the players just genuinely have... How, how deep does this simulation go? Do they have personalities? Do, do you really want to know how deep this rabbit hole goes? Yes. You, you <laughs> know if they what? have personalities, do they, like, fight with each other? That'd be awesome. Yes. Sweet. You have to, you have to manage you have to to keep track of what players get along with each other in the outside of games, <laughs> otherwise their morale will drop. Uh, players' morale will get higher if you bring on staff members or other players that they know or have played with before. Will they assault each other on the uh, what is it a rink? Not 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 that far. They're still professionals. Uh, <laughs> the... Yeah yeah you know my my skate slipped. <laughs> that that could result that 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 could have deadly consequences. That's Most just, people uh, aren't willing to face a murder charge. That's much more of a rugby thing, Fox. <laughs> that's well, much with a rugby more... thing, it's only my boot slipped fourteen times. <laughs> we were as opposed to this this ten inch long blade steel steel yes. blade. Don't get me wrong, cleats are pretty nasty, especially when a teammate's just walking on your back. But I do find it entertaining how you never hear about anyone having little violent accidents against, say, the All Blacks. <laughs> <laughs> so, I do kind of want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, because, particularly with this podcast, and especially since retro gaming news kind of accidentally became, like, the defining feature that we keep going to... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's our one-trick pony. Well, I was thinking about this in that we want to be a place where people can go deep and talk about things they really enjoy and love, uh, regardless of what the current trend is. Like, yeah, sure, we had on CompuFreak during the follow-up to Indicate, and that was wonderful, that was an absolutely great talk. But sometimes, as with, say, Future Friend, we just want to have someone to come on and talk about something they really love. And in that case, it was Bad Rats and Blood in the Sand. Sorry, no, and 50 Cent, not very bulletproof. (laughs) So for this show, what I'm hoping to do, at least today, is let's, let's hear you talk about, you know, sports management sims and games you really, really love. And we'll do a little bit afterwards talking to Fox about something she really, really loves as she polishes up her badges. So how deep does this rabbit hole go, Jeb? Well, it uh, it does manage... Uh, it does have a full free agency model for the National Hockey League. It has a full transfer model for the uh, European Hockey Leagues. It has... Uh, it has a junior system model for players who are not old enough to play professional hockey yet. <laughs> but still are talented enough to one day play in a professional league. So you can pay attention to people who aren't yet available? You can actually run a junior team in North in, in a Canadian or a North American junior hockey team. Okay. Full of uh, 14 to 7... Or 14 to 18 year olds. You're telling me this game can have a Mighty Duck simulator? <laughs> oh, oh, you've got him. <laughs> Uh, not quite that young, though those players do exist. You can't, can't, you just can't control them. Well, they're kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, in 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 the the default uh, database for it, there is a uh, uh, one of my tweet. My screenshots was a very large sixteen year old child who 
uh, is probably going to be an elite National Hockey League player. <laughs> but you can track people from about 13 years old uh, as they develop through through uh, lower junior ranks into the junior leagues or college if they decide they want to go to college instead. Because that's a decision every player will make. And that depends on the their generated personality or or their skill set or just where they're from. So does this have random personalities then rather than like known players licensing their images? Or... Uh, this game has no uh the the personalities are are based off real life counterparts. Ah. But it's not actually like celebrity no, tie in. There's no licensing for this game yet, so sweet. Everyone has a made-up name, <laughs> which is very jarring because this is the first time I've played a, a sports simulator where there hasn't been a license. Oh, right. <laughs> I kind of like that better. It, it's a very interesting take on it. Now, since, like I said, the, the players are based on their real-life counterparts, so some of the better well-known players, if you know where they're from, uh -huh. if you know... How big they are, you know what their talents are. You can say, "I'm pretty sure that." Uh, excuse me. I'm pretty sure this this player, for example, is Pavel Datsuk of the Detroit Red Wings. Well, you because could. this guy, this 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 guy is Russian. He's five foot eleven. So he's extremely easy. The, hmm? So there's an added Sherlock Holmes element here. Uh, you can the, you can also just download a. a, a custom-made database with all that in. <laughs> that is your very sort of Sherlock Holmes light there, sweetheart. <laughs> True. It's like, oh yes, the Russian. <laughs> I, I now find myself wondering if, as a mod for this game, you could make a procedural generator for a season. Like you mentioned, you could download a season. Uh, you could download a, a cast, as it were. You could hypothetically <laughs> make a program that's just like, I know how to generate a semi-random or procedurally generated cast for a season for you to play through. So that's a hypothetical thing, right? It would be possible, yes. It would drive people back. That would involve a lot of players. True. <laughs> because you're going to be generating players for not only the current season, but you also need that year's draft crop. You need the next several years' worth of junior players. You need the international players. Wow. <laughs> now, right now you're getting into the areas of sports I don't know but about. <laughs> you need the retired players who may decide later on to become staff. Oh, good grief. I, I kind of love how large this is. This sounds really There are tens impressive. of thousands of, of, wow. of entities in-game. That you can individually go through one at a time, <laughs> see all their, their their abilities, how they rack up, <laughs> how they prefer to play their their preferred tactics, their strategies when they coach, um, the the pace that they like to play as a player, who they don't like, what staff members they don't like to work for, what their favorite team is. All right, so I'm I'm trying to avoid being glib here. I was going to make a joke about, oh, and there's the there's the way they interact with the dude who drives the Zamboni. But I just want to double check. That's not actually a thing, right? It doesn't quite go that far. Okay, so there it is a limit. It doesn't quite go that far. It's a Zamboni. A Zamboni is a large, uh, a large motorized vehicle that uh, is used to smooth out ice by using uh, hot water. And what's an ice? 
<laughs> You've seen snow before. You told me that. I know. Come on. Know. Fox has seen snow. I fell in an icy river one time. He's that. He's that. Uh, ra- he's he's that not rapper dude. Yeah. yeah. He's some kind of informer. Well, with with this game, right? You you quite clearly like you, you've mentioned the scope of it, and as a player, what what kind of satisfaction? What what makes you happy when you're playing? Uh, at what point? Because there there is certainly a level of satisfaction. When you finally understand how everything works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just understanding the system. Well, the game, the game operates essentially under a set of, of uh, spreadsheets. It's kind of like EVE Online for, for sports and nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That seems fine to me. <laughs> I finally worked... the financial situations. Finally worked out what EVE Online is. It's an RPG simulator. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> I'm gonna keep that. I like that. Is um, so, so uh, but but the the actual structure of this game, like underpinning it, is about you trying to make optimal decisions with limited resources to uh, to to. It, it's not even a matter of you are trying to win the thing. You are trying to build a machine that wins the thing. You've got this extra layer of abstraction between you and your goal, right? Well, since you're playing as the general manager, um. Primarily, you can choose to manage the games as well, but primarily you're the, the general manager of your team, of your franchise, and you have to meet your board of directors' goals every year, or else risk getting fired, at which point it becomes Job Hunting Simulator. Oh! <laughs> uh, if, you, if you take on a smaller market team, or one that hasn't been performing well, then your board of directors will say, okay, we want you to, within three years, make the playoffs. And as you do that, as you meet those goals, gradually, your team's reputation improves, and your reputation improves. So So that goal goes from make the playoffs to... Make the semifinals? Right. Win the championship. Right. And even if you've been very successful for several years... If you don't start bringing home championships, eventually the fans will get upset and you will lose your job. Wait, wait, you can't just start firing people who can't win championships. That's going to be like all the other teams. Oh, that's how sports works. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we, we, have, we are done waiting. Help me out here on this one, Jeb, because I know that I don't know baseball that well, but there's a team, I think, in Boston that had a famously long losing streak. Like something like forty years, and during that time they went through something in the district of twenty head coaches. But like, how many teams but... are there? You know, statistically, <laughs> everyone's gonna lose. Well, no the the Boston Red Sox went a uh, hundred years without winning a championship. Red Sox, what kind of a name is that? Let's not make fun of Boston Red... too too notably. <laughs> you think they'll come and work me over? Actually, yeah, uh, their their team is called the Red Sox because they had socks that were red, as opposed to the other team in Boston who had socks that were white. You, they're they're uh, they're in Chicago. Oh, <laughs> the, the... see, there you go. Now, who names themselves after a random piece of their uniform? They could have called themselves the Blue Pants. Well, if you go into basketball, you have the uh, the New York Knickerbockers. <laughs> 
<clears throat> Those are the lamest undergarments ever! As uh, Knickerbockers aren't undergarments, Fox. <laughs> but as far as teams naming themselves after their uniforms, the New Zealand All Blacks. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not fighting them on that one. Which That's led... not after a random piece of their uniforms, though. That is after the entirety of their uniforms. Well, the the All Blacks have... Uh, because the All Blacks are basically the most successful team in New Zealand, all the other teams have derivations of it. Yeah, I heard about this. <laughs> like, the bas- they have a basketball team called the All Golds, I believe it is. Uh-huh. And they have a soccer team called the All Whites. Yeah, that didn't go over so well for them. <laughs> when they went to South Africa. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> They just did not think that one through. And like, half, half the team, uh, Maori, it wasn't like they sent a team of all white dudes called the All Whites to a, te- to a nation. <laughs> yeah, because they're New Zealanders and you'd have to be crazy to tell the Maoris they couldn't play sports. <laughs> a very significant po- percentage of that population uh, are Polynesian and Maori, and they love sport. They love sport in New Zealand. They're like... Mm-hmm. They're like they're like Australia, but better when it comes to so many things. <laughs> but yeah, so so this level of, of detail and math that we already have associated with sports means that these sorts of simulation games already have kind of like a lot of the underpinning... Like, the groundwork for these games is actually not based on game-style abstractions. They're actually based on, like, um, almost academic research, isn't it? Statistical analysis, uh, like the work of... Uh famous uh, electoral predictor, Nate Silver. That's right, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> he started out as a baseball dude, didn't he? He certainly did. He started out as a robot. <laughs> <laughs> that is entirely possible. That is entirely possible. Nate's, Nate Silver may, be, in fact, be a robot. I cannot confirm nor deny this, but yes. He was one of the... He, he along with uh, uh, the now rather famous Billy Bean... Of Moneyball fame, you've probably heard of the movie. I have, yeah. I haven't. Played by Bruce Pitt. Uh, Bruce Pitt. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Uh, and Bill James uh, ushered in the era of sabermetric and uh, statistical analysis in Major League Baseball because it's a very useful tool for judging a player's value over the course of a season because baseball seasons are incredibly long. Yeah. Massively data-rich, too. You don't... It, it, it's not like uh, 12 games and we're done. It's, it's what is it, 52 games or something ridiculous? <laughs> it's 162. Right, yeah, I knew Jesus it was a... Jesus fucking <laughs> Christ. Yeah. America is really all about baseball. America loves Base- it some baseball. Baseball is, one, is a wonderful sport. I hate their pants. <laughs> <laughs> we... we Obviously, with cricket being such a thing here in Australia, we quite like making fun of baseball or saying it's it's you know it's it's cricket for people who are impatient or it's cricket for people who can't handle big numbers. But <laughs> and when you consider that the average baseball game takes around three hours, yeah, you mean pointlessly confusing <laughs> numbers, right? Well, like I don't hate cricket or anything, and I don't hate their pants the same way I hate <laughs> baseball pants, but the scoring system is bizarre and stupid. <laughs> Well, there was one day in university where I completely understood cricket, and then I forgot it. <laughs> was this like the I moment? I was so disappointed. Was this the moment you <laughs> transcended space and time for a brief instant? 
eyes wide, staring into the cosmos, going, I get why the British are cranky all the time. <laughs> and I understood the algorithm that uh, allows Windows to report how long file transfers are going to take. It was all Wait, there! A, that's why it was 162 to 12 and the other team won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but because because you have lots and lots of games played in short windows, and at last check in baseball, the, the player cycling is very high, like it's it's very rare for a player to do nothing in a game. Well, even a player that does nothing contributes somehow. Yeah, uh, you'll all you a player will almost never not touch the ball on defense, or will never be. Statistical analysis will go so far as say how close were they to the ball. Right. <laughs> so, because um, you can count that as an almost catch kind of thing. And then there are things like striking out is technically. Not as bad as batting the ball into play and grounding it. Yeah. So this is because this web of data uh, that we already analyzed. Like, there's already an industry completely unrelated to video games that just wants to crunch all this data for both just the interest in the game and because it has an economic effect. Mm-hmm. And so, with these tools of analysis, someone has then gone and, like, let's make a video game that emulates this and actually uses this information. So... That's something we don't normally get in video games. Like, in video games, typically speaking, what we're dealing with is abstractions designed to make things feel like the thing they're crea- the thing that they're representing, oh, right. rather than actually mm-hmm. trying to represent it with best models we have. Right. Now, this isn't, this isn't particularly new. I mean, Championship Manager is still, and has been, one of the most popular gaming franchises in the entire world. Yep. And this is from the same studio. It's from Sports Interactive. Okay, so these people really know their stuff. Is this their first foray into hockey? No, it's not. Uh, this is their third Eastside Hockey Manager game. And their first one since 2007. Eastside? Uh, this, this franchise is Eastside. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was mentioned way you back mean, at the start. It's all sorry, good. I... <laughs> I forgot that bit. My well, bad. The, the, the use of the word Eastside comes from... Uh, the original creator of the freeware title, uh, named Riz, who developed a really popular uh, community of stat junkies who wanted to <laughs> simulate NHL hockey seasons. Sport uh, Sports Interactive eventually got on board, gave Riz a large pile of money for the franchise, yeah. and I know he worked on the first two. But I don't think they kept him on the payroll after, you know, the ensuing eight years. That's cool, though. <laughs> that This definitely came from a place of love. Absolutely. And, uh, random Jeb fact. Mm-hmm. The the username Jeb Wrench actually originated on the, the F-Hockey forums. Yeah. Aha! So, so we have a real insider here. This is some inside baseball on some Riz is one, hockey. Riz is, Riz is one of the nicest uh, people I've ever talked to on the internet. Oh. Well, that's lovely. Nice people on the so internet I, I are hope, very important. I, I hope that he's still getting some sort of compensation for the the Steam relaunch of Eastside. Now, the, the the really interesting thing I mentioned before is that this doesn't have a license. The previous versions did. So yeah. you have that, that level of unfamiliarity that makes... The, the previous editions of, of Eastside, I could go to any NHL team and know... Who should be playing where, what their skills are, uh, what what their strengths are, what the team needs to improve. 
I could look at the the first couple rounds of the of the upcoming draft years and know this is probably how it should fall. And I don't have that luxury with this version unless I go and download a mod. Hmm. And it means that I really have to you really have to go deep into the the statistics and. Another very fun thing about this, at least for me, is that you're not dealing with perfect information. Oh, yeah. The information that you're given, because they're trying to, to recreate the, the, the sports industry model, is coming from reports from your coaches and, and information from your scouts. And your scouts and your coaches are not perfect. Right. So you could send a scout out to look at the, the top five ranked players in in... North American Junior Leagues, and they'll come back and say, okay, I think that the the best player out of this is going to be Jim Frank here. And Jim Frank turns out to be completely inept. So, well, well, part of this is that that's, that's the game system trying to emulate the possibility that, say, Jim Frank was having an amazing day, and your scout caught him on that day, right? Exactly. Right. This, this is uh, your scouting really reports nice. will... Re- oh, your scout is a bum, and you need to fire him. <laughs> well, that's also a possibility. Oh, jeez. If it happens a lot. <laughs> I, I was just assuming. <laughs> I, I didn't consider that. Of course, this game would actually have that as a level of uh, integrated component. Well, y- your scout could just be bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, your coaches could just be bad at their jobs, and that's why your players aren't performing well enough. Uh, is there room for characters to uh, change over time? Uh, yes, they all do. Oh, of course. This is really, uh, really as players as players get older, they get uh, generally their physical skills decrease and their mental skills increase. Mm-hmm. It's dandy. <laughs> Compressed <laughs> over a year and with repeated violent trauma. I don't know anyone who has ever used the D and D aging model. From- Not without casting a wish spell <laughs> or cheating kobolds. But anyway. Oh god. <laughs> you been maxes. This is why we can't have nice things. But anyway, Jim, um, you were saying injuries will immediately have an effect on a player's long term. Uh, just as a just as a random example, uh, in the the first commercial version of Eastside Hockey Manager in two thousand six, two thousand five. Sorry, uh, I wound up with a very talented. 19-year-old defenseman who was actually good enough to be one of the top in the league, about a month into his career, got a serious knee injury and was barely able to play more than 30 seconds at a time anymore. Oh, no! <laughs> That's really sad. We've... These things happen. Yeah, but at this moment, we are currently feeling for an abstraction of an abstraction of an abstraction of a statistical system, so I think that shows how easily and how <laughs> an well... An abstraction of an abstraction of a statistical system that we have no attachment to what it's an abstraction of. But, yeah, and, and, and the game gives that a shape. It gives that a meaning for us. I, I just kind of love that. That's amazing. Um, uh, the the you, You've mentioned before the, the whole games are... Uh, Systems for creating stories, right? Yeah. Uh, or something to that effect. The, the term I use is a machine for creating stories. Uh, the, these, these sort of games will naturally do that. Because sports in and of itself is a great way to create narratives. Yeah. If you watch, if you really study, for example, a basketball game, you can see, like, right now in the basketball, in the, the NBA playoffs, uh, Derek Rose, the Chicago Bulls, has been injured for the past several years after being one of the best players in the league, 
and this year he seems to be just out of nowhere returning to form. Nice. While playing still for his hometown Chicago Chicago Bulls. So there's a story there and too. The a story that's constantly just writing itself as you play. And these simulators manage to do the same thing. I can tell you about the twenty seven year old Polish player I found off the street <laughs> when I was uh, running a Red Wings game uh, career of Eastside Hockey Manager that he just happened to have a really good shot. <laughs> so I put him on my... I signed him for dirt cheap and he wound up scoring 30 goals for me and I won the Stanley Cup that year. Holy crap! <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be very popular. Was this a Mr. Schmein Schmetzi by any chance? I don't <laughs> Uh, his name was Casper Keenig. Oh. Well, we salute you, Mr. Casper Keenig. A success story that we would not have known about had we not bothered to sit and just listen to Jeb sharing about a game he likes for a while. I suppose, I guess, because you've been sent a review copy, just, just as a, to do a, to do a kindness for the people who've done that, uh, would you recommend this game at this point? I mean, uh, even though it's, even though it's early access, uh, the way they're using early access is kind of interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the game itself is basically the 2007 engine ported over with updated rosters. So the game is basically feature complete. Oh! There's still a few bugs in the adaptation for things like Windows 7 compatibility. I did have a crash while playing it. Mm-hmm. But the reason why they're using EA Access is they're gauging interest to see... Or EA Access, early access, sorry. <laughs> EA Access is something different. Which is not a bad thing. They're using They're using early access to gauge interest and see if this is a franchise worth bringing back, if they're going to have enough support. So, if you want to play a hockey management game, if you want to get into sports simulators, and this being sports interactive, if you buy one of their games, portion a portion of the the profits goes directly to Warchild. Hey! Oh, nice! Because sports, in, uh, sports interactive is great like that. That's cool. If those are things that you're interested in, by all means... Check this out. Um, like I said, I did have a crash. Uh, I think I was alt-tabbing around at the time, which, in retrospect, ha- probably wasn't the best idea. Let's make a lot of games unhappy, done it? But yeah. Well, this isn't very visually intensive. Yeah. Uh, I, I would certainly recommend picking it up, uh, especially since you can't get the older versions of the game anymore. Already are. Uh, the Sega took down the, the ordering system for... The prior ones. Boo on them. Boo, Sega. <laughs> Can't you get anything right nowadays? <laughs> well, they did. They did let them bring it back, which I'm extremely happy about. Yeah, and it appears that they brought back a product that's got a real bit of love to it. And I, I hope that it's successful enough that they can say, "Okay, we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep working on this." Um, that interesting. And just for just for infor- just for our listeners' information, uh, the real world world mods do exist. Just that, since I'm doing a preview of it right now, I'm not using them. But they are out there, and they exist, and they're easy to find if you go look for the F-Hockey forums. And the uh, the dating sim spin-off, where, you know, they're all converted to anime characters, you can also sleep with them if they're happy enough with their performance. Well, you could make them all into anime characters if you wanted to. You can import photos. <laughs> oh, God. She did that with Baldur's Gate. <laughs> Well, the Baldur's Gate portraits I always felt were very disappointing. I know a lot of people would not particularly like anime ones, but I I heard from a lot of people who just didn't like what they drew for Baldur's Gate 2. Anyway, 
And now it's time for Retro Gaming News. All the news that's fit to print for April 2010. Brought to you by Sugarman's Franchise Extender. All the body of a real franchise and none of the flavor. Really slim month this month. Uh, but only in that it's only got a few games that seem to have lasted. This is one of the things I've really liked about doing Retro Gaming News, that we get to take games that we knew about vaguely at the time and see how time has been kind to them, or not kind to them in some cases. We've had some games where we found that, for example, Jeb has mentioned some games that turned out to be absolutely brilliant that didn't get fussed at the time they launched, like Gunstringer. It's kind of like a where are they now sort of thing. What were we excited about this time last year? Oh my goodness, I can't believe we thought that was going to be big. Yeah, and also a chance to see how old or how new some things that we consider classics actually are. (laughs) True, Dan. So, April 2010 had three games that are considered classics launch. Two of them on the same day. Do we consider them classics? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to go out there too hard. He's making the eh, hand gesture. The, the, the hand wiggle. <laughs> the hand wiggle, which is always expressed in text with little tildes on either side. <laughs> Alright, so, first game. It's a fight game. It is a game where you just line up two characters and they punch each other. Street Fighter 4? That is correct. It is Street <laughs> Fighter 4. Which, again, doesn't have a single player campaign, but... Is considered to be... Well, it has... It has a uh, story mode for each character. Oh, yeah. It's got that. Oh, it does? Well, that's all fight games ever just... have for a quote-unquote campaign. It's true. Yeah. I have a hard time thinking of that as being like a single-player mode, but you are right. It totally does. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You just... You, you punch the guy in the face and they fall over. Yeah. Uh, like, I remember Dan's storyline is uh, trying to find Sakura so that he can prove that he is the greatest Ryu. <laughs> <laughs> Dan is the best character in any fighting game. <laughs> Dan is basically Waluigi taken seriously. <laughs> no, Dan is Mr. Satan. <laughs> I'm wondering where you're getting taken seriously from. Because don't we refer to Shingo as Dan taken seriously? The, the, the one day we will get on, hopefully, uh, SF the Wolf, who will talk to us about the incredibly complicated interconnected nests that are the fight games of the late 90s, because that is incredible. That does sound fun. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get to hear the, the bizarre story of uh, SNK and Capcom taking pot shots at each other with characters in their games. I will be of no use for this, because there's only been one fight game I have ever been remotely good at, and that was the Dreamcast Soul Calibur. Well, After that... Well, you and, you and SF can just talk about how hot Leona is. <laughs> She's not actually my favorite. I, I, Vanessa before. Yeah, no, anyway, um, okay. Next up, it's a Wii game. It was made on a startlingly small budget, even as a AAA Wii release. All of them. <laughs> <clears throat> it's another franchise game. Skyward Sword. No, Skyward Sword actually had a pretty re- had a pretty meaty budget as far as Nintendo projects go. Um, this was not... Yeah, that's not saying much. Yeah, it's true. It's a Capcom project. <laughs> oh. Um, hold on. It, uh, it's not a remake, is it? Not a remake, but it, is a, a, remake, it is a sequel. It's a franchise. Okay. So it's not Wii Okami. No, it's not Wii Okami. It's Capcom. Yeah, it's Capcom. It is a franchise that has still been going. Uh, Resident Evil 4? Remake? Mm, I mean, it's, no, it's, it's a new release. Yeah, no, no. Uh, the, the, this game is the third in its mainline franchise. 
Ah, I should know this. Subsequent Capcom can count to three. Capcom can count to four. I keep wanting to yell Klonoa, but that's Namco. No, totally it's not on the Klon- wrong track. Not Klonoa. Uh, it's it is a uh... fire emblem. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! It's a game where being on the Wii, being on a stand-up console, was an exception. Normally, it was on handhelds. It has moved back to handhelds. <clears throat> they never did it. No. It's a game with both single-player and multiplayer components that are Make connected. Make a battle network? No. It's not like a spin-off thing. It's just part of a... It's a normal mainland franchise entry. Capcom Capcom developed this with someone else as well. This is not... Don't, don't think exclusively a Capcom product. Oh, this is a Capcom Versus. No. No, no, no not a fighter. Nah. Is it... Uh, did they make a X Cross Zone game for the Wii? No, no. It shipped with a Wiimote. Shipped with a Wiimote? Like, you could get it in the stores, and there'd be the game with its big label on the front, and it'd have a Wiimote in the box with a little window so you could see that, yes, indeed, that's a Wiimote. So they're aiming this at people who are getting... No. Who don't have a second Wiimote yet, because you get one with the console, so it's obviously mostly a two-player thing. <laughs> It's Monster Hunter Try. Oh, God. Oh, right. I would never have gotten that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I figured the second I started I talking have... about what's in the game, it would have just given it away completely. Because <laughs> there are monsters, and you hunt them. <laughs> it's like, uh, either, uh, I get... gloom. <laughs> <laughs> either I go so obtuse as to be useless, or... But yeah. Uh, so who did they develop that with? Um, the people who still do developing um, Monster Hunter. Uh, though mostly for Monster Hunter 4, that's been integrated into Capcom. I believe that when you boot Monster Hunter 4, it just tells you, you know, the Capcom screen. I, I thought it was just a Capcom thing, but I haven't actually played any Monster Hunter. It's not like I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember when I was looking. There was a distinct de- there was a distinct sub developer for Monster Hunter Tri, which might just have been like they had a Cap- Capcom had a Nintendo liaison. I'm not sure. All right then, and. Now, someone to make the goddamn Wiimotes work. <laughs> I, I I love how in that generation of games, the the Xbox's success, like every everyone had these big areas of clear flaws in their development's architecture. Yeah. In the PlayStation Three, yeah, it had a really powerful processor. You needed a wizard to make it work. <laughs> and the Xbox, okay, no one in Japan is buying it. We don't know why. And then you have the Wii, where. Okay, great. It's it's a really great thing. Now you need to use someone. Now you need to bring on someone who will care about the Wii integr- the Wiimote integration, who can actually handle that wing of the programming. Honest to God, I'm quite pleased that most Wii games didn't force that. Like some of them did, and it really feels stupid. <laughs> you did not need to convert this to waggly controls. That you got nothing out of that. I get that you wanted to use it because it was there, but you have made your game worse. By trying to work with it. One complaint I have about Kirby's Epic Yarn, a game which I otherwise mostly consider to be pretty perfect at what it's trying to do, I think that the waggle of the controller for um, the racing sections, that's really frustrating Oh, to me. yeah, yeah. So I was thinking, when did they use controller waggle? I don't recall that. Yeah, so yeah it, it, racing it, sections. It's, it's in a very narrow part of the game. It happens very rarely, and it doesn't feel intuitively connected to what you're doing. So, ah, just I have got my sister playing that. It made me uh, so happy. My sister is a year older than me, and, like, she's a SingStar kind of video gamer. Yeah. Let's put that in perspective. SingStar and, and Sims. Uh, 
Uh, ju- just for just for reference, uh, it's called the 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 other company was called Aiding. Right. So I, I knew I knew it wasn't just Capcom because this was too interesting a game for Capcom to do on their own. <laughs> I shouldn't try and dunk on Capcom. Multi billion dollar company doesn't really give a crap what I think of it. That's why you can dunk on. Them. Yeah, true. But anyway, yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, I got my sister come over and go, "We finally got a Wii. Lend me all your Wii games." And I was like, "Yeah, sure." And then, you know, a few days later, I get a text from her that's like, I, I don't think my boyfriend even cares that he's playing the little pink thing. He just loves that I'm playing video games with him. <laughs> <laughs> Kirby's Epic Yarn is a legit important game. I think we, that's another thing we want to do an episode on. We want to do an episode where we just dig down onto Kirby's Epic Yarn. Anyway. Well, that's exactly why I gave it to her, because, like, she's not a platform player or anything, so I just went, look, go, take this. It's co-op. It's really hard to fuck each other up, and it's impossible to lose. I've only ever played one Kirby game. Hmm. Which is that? The very first one, before Kirby was picked. Oh. Oh. Before before Kirby could take powers. The I have game never played world. a game. I've never yes, I have never played a game, uh, uh, an actual Kirby game where Kirby takes powers from thing, the creatures he inhales. Actually, I don't think I have either. <laughs> I've played several, but they just happen to be the ones that are spin-offs, and you can't do that in them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and the last. I'm told this is an important part of Kirby's character, but I've never actually seen it. Actually, <laughs> only in Smash Brothers. All right, now the last game of this set in April 2010. This one is regarded as a classic, but a flawed classic. Uh, it's a JRPG. It's a JRPG with a lot of mode switching, so the gameplay style will actually change. Final itself. Fantasy 13? No, it'll change itself up a lot. Wait, what's the re- what's the console? It was on the PS3. Right. Okay, uh, that one, uh, I can't, actually, it might also have been Persona on the 360. Persona 4? No, not Persona 4. It was an extension of a franchise, but not a franchise that was well known and well regarded for what this game did. Mm-hmm. This game has... Fantasy Star Online? Nope. This game has a strong connection to character-based stuff. To the point where one of the characters was changed between the Japanese and American releases to make the role. Near. There you go. Oh, right. Yeah. Mode switching. Yeah. I see what you mean now. Yeah. Near, near is at one point a bullet hell. Near is at another point a block sliding puzzle game. That is such a weird fucking game. This is why nobody could ever tell me when I asked what the fuck Nier is about. Nobody could ever tell okay, me. Okay, uh, Nier is a remarkably smart post apocalyptic dad game. If you're playing I the American have known version. That. In, in the American version, he, this is the major change that was done. You have the protagonist is a big brother figure in the Japanese version. He's slenderer, more Bishinen. And in the American version, they made him bulkier, and they made him a little more hairy, and they made him much more conspicuously daddish. He's much older. Yeah, older as well. He also makes a few uh, a few more embarrassing puns. Uh, <laughs> Whatever. In proper dad fashion. I'm just furious that they made another fucking dad game. Well, look... I, I, I agree with you about the, the, the depth of dad games, and indeed the simplicity of dad games, but I think as far as, like, if, if we did a massive cull and got rid of all the bad dad games, I think Nier would be left behind. Mm. Uh, Along with Octo Dad. I, I do also resent the idea that it got changed for, you know, because, you know, Americans won't accept a pretty boy. That's true, that's a shame. Um, but on the other hand, I do think that the American release of Nier that we got out of it is still very interesting. And yeah, it's, it's probably it's better. Obviously, than... what obviously what we need is a, is a is a is a current gen 
uh, remaster where you get to choose. Yeah, yeah. see, that would make more sense. Absolutely, a dad or a brother or a mom or a sister. Come on, get on. Absolutely, it. That, would yeah. be, that would be fantastic. Um, Mir is also noteworthy because it's one of the very, very rare places I've ever seen any media have an explicitly trans character. Uh, mm-hmm. There is some yeah. complication with how they handle her, uh, but again, between language barriers and different cultural values, it's very hard to say because, you know... Yeah, considering well, that there badly. are two ways trans characters are allowed to show up in narratives now, which is either joke or psycho. Yeah, and I... It, there are... The best way I can express this without sounding like I'm forwarding an idea about how good or bad the character is handled, I know trans people who are very happy about this character's existence. Like, they're very comforted to know that this character exists. I'm trying not to spoil it, not because the character's um, trans status is a spoiler and there's some big reveal in the game, as far as I know. But, yeah, it's it's a thing that's there. Uh, Um, Okay, the the game is so obtuse about what's actually going on or what's actually important that you don't want to spoiler anything because it might be important. (laughs) One of the problems that Nia has is that the first hour of the game, more or less, possibly the first two or three hours really keep you in the dark about what's actually transpiring and what you're doing. I haven't played it, but I have been over the shoulder of a person who was playing it for several hours, and none of us knew what the fuck was going on in that game. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, now it's like an open-world fantasy thing. Okay, there's a, let's there's, go have a wander. There, there are people in town who want me to gather seeds so I can build my garden, so I can improve my backyard so my daughter can sit there on the back deck and look at the pond. Sure, well, the game told me to do it, I guess. The The, the game has... It's a dad game where there's a deck. <laughs> Wait, does he build the deck? I don't know if he builds the deck or if he built the deck. I'm just imagining dad's simulator. Yeah. It's a, it is a it is a legitimately strange, interesting game with a whole bunch of different, very deliberate mode shifting. Like, several bosses are deliberately designed to be bullet hells. But, and this is something I found really interesting, after you die to the boss once... Actually, this might this might not be true. This might be me having observed a pattern of behavior and then <laughs> thought that this was the rule. But after you die to the boss once, the bullets become hittable. Huh. So you can whack them out of the way. So it's kind of... You can play this as a hard bullet hell and, you know, get it right the first time. But if you can't, we're not going to make you grind through that. That's a nice idea. Yeah, Nier is really properly interesting. If, if it's in your secondhand bins or anything like that, listener... I strongly advocate you check it out. And that's it for Retro Gaming News. So that's all that came out? It's not all that came out. There's tons. There's like 14 more games that month. It's just that there were things like... um, Nothing else is interesting? Grand Theft Auto, Liberty City Stories got released on the PSP. No, sorry, the PSN. There's just lots and lots of bump. Fair enough. And stuff that wouldn't stand out in your memory. Whereas those three games, that's that's a pretty interesting set of things to come out in the same... Basically the same weekend. And what was the day they came out? Uh, They came out on... Two of them came out on April 27th. One of them came out on April 25th. Ah, I know something good that came out on April 27th. Majora's Mask. I met you. Well, yeah. I I believe the phrase is born, not came out. Whatever. (laughs) There is... Look, that is an accurate description of what happened. (laughs) Well... Let's let's not delve too much into the circumstances of my birth. <laughs> yeah, hey everyone, it's Talon's birthday this weekend. Technically, it'll be my birthday when this thing goes up. On the other hand, because I'm editing it, I'll probably clip that out. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> What's that for? To start talking about Fire Emblem. Oh, just so it's easy for me to find it. I'm sorry, Talon. What did you say? I said, "Hey, Fox, 
Tell me about Fire Emblem. <sighs> oh my god, it, it's finally happened. But now the time is here, I don't know what to say. Alright, so, for the for the listener, despite the fact that Fire Emblem has basically been a co- part of the constellation is my life for the past <laughs> seven years. It's a constellation that is my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I demand Ursa Major. Yes, you are definitely my Ursa Major. Oh. Anyway, um, I haven't played any Fire Emblem games beyond, like, I think I did the tutorial of Shadow Dragon once. Now, I know Jeb and Fox have both played a particular Fire Emblem game. I don't know which one it was. That would be Path of Radiance. Path. Am I right? Yeah, that was the one on the GameCube, yes. right? Right. Yeah, that's the one I played. Broadly felt to be the best in the franchise by most people, but not. Is it is it archetypal of the of the series, or is it so far off the the base that I wouldn't <laughs> like any of the other ones? Um, no, it's probably a very good exemplar for the series. Like Awakening went over very well, but. It's got a certain kind of pandering element to it. They very plainly said, look, this might be the last Fire Emblem, so we're going to bring back everything that people liked. So they just kind of shoved in all the elements. Yeah, you get child characters and you get class switching and you get level grinding and you get all of this stuff. Um, but Path of Radiance to me feels like a much better design game where they just went, what do we actually want to put in to make this game work as well as it can? So, yeah, if you're only going to play one, that's probably the one to play. Um, um, has some of the best character art as well. Uh, that artist was Kita Senri, and she is my absolute favorite out of the Fire Emblem artists. Uh, I don't like the new guy very much, but I like her. So, as someone who's only gotten through this... I'm through, pretty sure it's her. ...through osmosis... Uh, Fire Emblem is a turn-based strategy game with a lot of open information. It's a tactical RPG. So it's a turn-based tactical war game where the individual characters are really important. You don't get, you know, I have one tank unit and, you know, one uh, squad of gunners or whatever. No, it's, it's you know, I have Titania and she's a fucking badass with a poleaxe. And, and I have Ike and he's my blue-haired dude with a sword. Because you gotta have a blue-haired dude with a sword. That, that actually is coding in Fire Emblem, by the way. <laughs> the Lord is always a blue-haired dude with a sword. In fact, your whole army is tinted blue, so you can tell them apart from the enemies. Who are tinted red. Yes. And, and if there are neutral forces, they usually get tinted green. Oh, interesting. Um, and Jeb, in your experience with this game, like what what pulled you into it? Do you really want to know? I really <laughs> do want to know. It was cheaper than uh, what was it? Baton Kratos or Baton Kratos? It was cheaper than that. I think it it was cheaper than that. Nice. <laughs> hey. That's a that's a legitimate thing to pull you into a game. It certainly is. Well, to be fair, I also I also at least recognize the the Fire Emblem name from uh, Smash Brothers. Can't hazard a guess at what pulled me into the franchise. Pretty boys. Moth is hot. Yep. <laughs> but it turned out that I really freaking loved playing the game as well. Though this is definitely colored by the fact that I I just love games with lots of characters I can appreciate, and Fire Emblem really scratches that itch. Fire Emblem. <laughs> like, hey, I want a roster of, like, 60 playable characters, most of whom are hot anime guys and girls. Yes. And are generally unique in their personalities and their conversations that they have with one another. Oh, yeah. At least from what I saw in, in uh, Path of Radiance. <laughs> yes. Um, the support conversations are a really, really popular part of the franchise. And they are not one that feels forced when they leave it in. They It wasn't there at the very beginning, and so it also didn't appear when they remade Shadow Dragon, and people were very cross about this. <laughs> 
And they also cut them from Radiant Dawn, which is the sequel, direct sequel to Path of Radiance. And that made people very, very, very cross indeed. Wait, why would you do that? Yeah, it wasn't a good <laughs> They Theory is they ran out of space because Radiant Dawn is a huge fucking game. It's got all the characters from Path of Radiance except one who lost his arm and therefore doesn't fight anymore. Uh, and it's got, like, a game's worth of new characters on top of that. Wait, this is a video game. Losing an arm just means that you're now inspired by Berserk. No, apparently it means that all your stat bonuses go to your hot wife instead. Well, as well. She's actually kind of awesome because you can do save transfers. Um, and if you transfer that character in particular, she gets all her stat bonuses and all her husband's stat bonuses. Why does this mage have, like, four extra points of strength? Whatever. Which is actually really useful, because in Radiant Dawn, your weapon weight uh, affects your uh, speed, unless you're strong mm-hmm. enough to ignore it. So for wizards, strength is mostly irrelevant, except you are just enough to be able to use the big bad spellbooks. Yeah, well, wasn't that the case in uh, Path Radiance too? Uh, similar mechanic doesn't there... work quite the same. I can't remember the exact I... difference. I remember my second playthrough, I was playing with a guide, and they were talking about worrying about the weights of your spellbooks and stuff. And then it's like, huh? I'm supposed to worry about that? <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I know the the formula isn't exactly the same between the two games, but weight is still a factor in Path of Radiance as well. I actually played Radiant Dawn first, um, and then I spent about two years on eBay trying to find a PAL copy of Path of Radiance. And even though I had a loaded disc for the GameCube, it had to be a PAL copy, because otherwise I wouldn't be able to get save transfers. And you need the save transfers mm. to get the special Saren ending. This is a thing I must oh. have. <laughs> Because Saren is lovely. Saren or Soren? I don't know how you would say that name. Anyway, that's not the point. I always pronounced him as Soren. To differentiate him from Sorin Malkov, the vampire. I don't know who that is. Uh, Magic Gathering character. Um, with the with the systems of mm-hmm. Fire Emblem, uh, one of the things you've mentioned to me offhandedly is that it's very open about outcomes of individual interactions. Yeah, I... I've been told there are some other games that do a similar thing, but I've never seen it before, and that was the most immediately striking thing to me. You can walk up to someone when you're thinking about attacking them and see what's going to happen, basically. It will just flat out tell you, if you hit them, you're going to deal this much damage. If they hit you, they will deal this much damage. You're going to get two attacks because you're fast enough. The only thing you don't know for sure is you have a hit chance and you have a crit chance. Crit chance is usually minimal, unless you're, unless someone's luck is really, really shit, or you have one of the special weapons that boosts crit, which they almost never give to the enemies, but sometimes they do just to fuck with you. <laughs> and then you're like, ah, no, I'm just gonna shoot that guy with a bow instead. Um, so there is a little bit of randomness, but it's very easy to make those numbers extremely reliable. Um, like, it, it's trivial on most characters to get your hit chance into the 80 to 100% range and just not have to worry about it much. I want to say that, uh, Front Mission did something like that, too. Okay, like I said, I've, other people have told me the games, that, that other games have done this. With um with tactical RPGs, uh, the two that I'm most familiar with myself would be Final Fantasy Tactics, which is pretty good, mm-hmm. and Devil Survivor, which I'm very attached to. And in both of those cases, those games are actually very, very reluctant to give you uh, information about outcomes. They'll definitely show you up the front. You know, this is they have this opponent has this kind of equipment, this kind of thing, and they've got this many hit points. 
but you don't know how things are going to go until you've committed to an action. Yeah, yeah. Which is very interesting because as it as you describe it, if you know how things will go when you have that emergent out when you have that uh, uh, aware outcome, this means that the combat is less. Uh, well, the, the the tactical decisions are less about what will this work and much more about dealing with this sort of emergent movement of multiple pieces across the battlefield. Whereas in these tactic style games I'm used to, it really is a matter of you just think in terms of dropping these targets quickly and hoping that that works. There's <laughs> there's less of a, a strategic element to this tactical game. Uh, yeah, positioning is super duper important. Uh, if there is something that happens in combat that you weren't expecting, it's probably because you accidentally left a character in range of someone, and on their turn they're gonna come over and belt the shit out of you. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that gets really exciting. Uh, it's not usually a very sort of adrenaline-y kind of game. It's, obviously it's not a bad action. Um, it is so not a bad action that you can just turn off the scenes where the characters fight and just make it a, you know, click on them, the sprite goes, eh, and deals some damage. They really know what they're doing in that respect. Um, and it has, uh, you mentioned Devil Survivor. Yeah. If I recall correctly, what happens in that is you, each of your characters represents a small team. And when you attack someone, you enter into like a, a three fantasy three star four kind of basic RPG interface sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and then you choose moves for each of those team members in that interface. Not not to get too snooty, but technically Fantasy Star 4 enters into a... Yeah, I'm sure they... Well, they probably got it from an Shin earlier Mega... Fantasy Star, if nothing else. Well, Fantasy Star got it off Shin Mega Megami Tensei. Yeah? SNT is ancient. It's that... Huh. And that style of three-on-three three sprites on screen, that's, that's like 1981? It's really old. It's really Yeah, I, I figured it was ancient. It has that very very sort of artistic shortcut kind of thing. Yeah. How can we do this without needing to show the characters, without needing to animate everything? This yeah. is great. Yeah. Uh, but yes, you're right. It goes all the way back to Dragon Quest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once again, the history of JRPGs is a history of hacks and shortcuts. I love it. <laughs> the history of JRPGs is what did Dragon Quest do and why do people keep associating with Final Fantasy? <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, so anyway, that that is a constant in the series. Uh, combat works with you hit them, they hit you. So you're never not exposing yourself unless you are utilizing a ranged character against someone who can't fight back or vice versa. Or, or um, in the context of, of you hit them, they hit you, is it possible that a faster character can kill the other person? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so it isn't like, say, Magic Gathering where no matter what, these two things will usually hit each other unless one has first strike. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not a case of damage on the stack and then we find out what happens. Uh, it's like the, uh, in, in, uh, Path of Radiance, what make, made Volk so good was that he was ridiculously fast. <laughs> and, and would just generally kill anything that he attacked. Yeah, the first hit always goes to the character who is initiating the attack. Oh. Uh, then there's retaliation from the other character, and then if either of them is fast enough, they get to hit a second time. Okay, so so there is already an incentive in the system for regression. Despite the fact that there's known information and the fact that the, the, the gameplay can become emergent, that would normally encourage a player to be defensive, because that way there's fewer things that they have to try and control for. Enemies will come to them. But that you hit first if you initiate the attack, that suddenly puts you into a desire to be offensive. <laughs> Oh, yeah, otherwise it would probably be a little too easy to just get a knight and, you know, stand them in a doorway and, and you know, break yourselves upon my body. Where's that from? That's Osric. Oh, God, from... that's a World of Warcraft reference. <laughs> oh, don't look, anyone. 
Though, to be fair, that's a, I found that was a pretty good uh, strategy if you stuck a healer behind them. Oh, yeah, yeah. that that's a, It's a very useful thing to do. So, I usually handicap myself a bit by not liking the knight characters very much. I, I typically use paladins for tanking instead, which is not the best choice. Um, which I guess is one of the things that people like about the games that allow class switching. I don't know. I, I have very mixed opinions on class switching, because in one case, they tend to bias the female characters towards the casty or quick-moving classes, and they tend to bias the dude characters towards the tankier classes. And I do like being able to shift that balance around. But on the other hand, there are a lot of times when it's like, yeah, I, I you know, converted that character into a Pegasus Knight. Why are they having support conversations as if they're still an archer or a wizard or... Uh, that can get really bothersome sometimes. Like when people are still talking about Sully's horse in support conversations and she's been a dragon knight for me since the first time I got a second <laughs> My theory is that her horse actually is a dragon in disguise. <laughs> that or it's a... Nobody told the dragon otherwise. Or it's a really diminutive nickname for the dragon. <laughs> horse, the dragon. I love it. It's just a run- It's a running Let gag. Let me put Rot Flats, Horse the Cat. Yeah. He was a wonderful character. Yeah. Well, we're, un- unfortunately we don't have time to do a Foot Rot Flats character special. <laughs> But that is also awesome. That's not really video gaming, but yeah, anyone who hasn't seen Foot Rock Flats, go check out this weird New Zealandy comic that's just wonderful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so so you have these very complicated games, but you've already mentioned two other things that are worth exploring further. You mentioned doorways. So yeah, yeah. terrain plays a giant part in this, obviously. <laughs> Well, depending on what your individual map has on it. Uh, and they tend to get more... This is one of the ways that they increase complexity as you go through the game. Um... One of the things that most Fire Emblem titles are really good at is introducing elements to you one by one. So, like, at first, you'll you'll just have to fight a couple of guys with swords and... Uh, well, a couple of guys with axes, because you'll usually have swords. So your swords are better than their axes, because uh, weapons have, like, a rock-paper-scissors thing. So, yeah. basically, they'll put you up against people you have an advantage over to begin with. And then they'll introduce, you know, maybe they'll introduce an archer on the next map, so you have to learn how ranged stuff works. And, you know, then you'll start coming across wizards, and, you know, you have to wonder about your magic defense. And, uh, you know, they'll introduce difficult terrain, and now you're doing an indoor map, and maybe your movement won't be the same for every character. They have a very good progression in most cases. They'll introduce a wizard, and then you'll get wrecked <laughs> the first time. Except the first wizard they give you is completely squishy and just crumples if you ever let him get hit. <laughs> Somehow the enemy wizard is never that delicate the first time around. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, you, you also mentioned that you focused on paladins over knights because you liked them more. Uh, I, and well, because, they tend to be Titania. Well, because we have Jeb here as well, I think this would be interesting because it seems that there is an incentive system that is not a purely mechanical one. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it depends on what matters to you. I know people who do, you know, I'm doing a female characters only run, except for the obligatory Lord character who has only been a woman once and she sucked, so. And she can choose in Awakening, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, no. Chrom is the Lord, technically, in Awakening. You oh. can tell because he has blue hair. Oh, of Um, but there is, they did this before in the sequel to, well, in the sequel to Fire Emblem, which is the game that became Shadow Dragon when they remade it. Um, they introduced the Avatar character, who's not actually the Lord, but is like a strategist, ally, close friend, not at all gay relationship, um, who is basically an offsider to them, and you could usually choose the Avatar character's gender. Or more traditionally, my unit. Right. 
<laughs> the the canonical name is uh, Chris in Awakening, I think, which I hate because it's such a you know name you'd meet walking down the street kind of name for a fantasy character. Um, and in Jeb's case, did did you have anything like this as well, where the like the flavor or the theming incentivized you in a different way than the mechanics? Uh, in Fire Emblem, yeah. not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair too. I, I just find this an interesting thing. Um, there wasn't any character uh, where you were like, you're, you're just a dick, I'm not taking you, go away. <laughs> Get on the damn bench. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I had that with Shannon. He is a good character, but he is such a fuck-ass. <laughs> Who's, who is that again? Uh, he's the red-headed archer. There's, you get two of them, one's the little green-haired dude. Right, yeah. right, right. So he, he like has a- Yeah, I only ever used Rolf. <laughs> he gets all pissy at Ike at the beginning of the game and leaves for like 18 chapters or something. <laughs> Comes back right near the end. But he's such an ass. And in Radiant Dawn, he's like actively racist and sexist towards some of the other characters. <laughs> and he just goes out of his way to piss people off. And, you know, I'm sure there's some character development intended there eventually if you, like, talk to him and deal with his issues and stuff. But he just, you know, motivated me to go, no, fuck you. Go sit down. You can come back and play with the rest of us when you can be nice to the other children. This character sounds like, like a the... real fuck-ass. <laughs> He's just a jerk. My, uh, my first playthrough of Fire Emblem, most I was very bad at it, so... <laughs> I didn't really get attached to many characters because most of them died. This was the other thing I was going to ask you, actually. Um, because I have always played Fire Emblem as an exercise in perfect play. I will restart rather than lose a character. And apparently a lot of people do that, but it's absolutely not the way the design is intended. Well, there was an interview at one point where one of them said, look, I, oh god, are people playing it that way? I hope they don't play it that way. Um, so you, uh, you allow permadeath to happen and accept the consequences? Uh, the first time I let everyone die who died in combat, including meaning that I could never use Soren, though he never died. <laughs> oh yeah, he just gets like permanently, uh, He's permanently wounded. Can't come back and fight. The, there's, there's, uh, the, you know, in, in Path of Radiance, the, uh, the mission where you're trying to get away from your castle and you're like... Oh, yes. <coughs> Trying to, you know, defend this spot for so many turns. Yep, yep. I had to do that with, like, three characters. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's where two of them died. Yeah, that one's tricky even with a that's four where I lost. Stuff. That's where I lost That's where I lost Oscar and where Soren got permanently wounded. <laughs> oh, the horrors of war. Yes, I, I am more of a revisionist perfect historian. <laughs> <laughs> my second and third, my second and third playthroughs, both I got now I got all but one character survived through the whole thing. That's pretty good. Who'd you lose? And um, the the axe berserker guy you get really late. Uh, Lagos. Largo. 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 Why you not get hit points? Coincidentally, Largo is the one who loses an arm. I can understand that because he kept getting run over by fucking boulders. <laughs> yeah. He has no defense. And that, that, that mission where you get him for the first time takes a long fucking time. <laughs> That's true. And then when he finally died, I was so far into that mission, I said, fuck it, I'm not doing that oh, again. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> the other reason that people get all PC at uh, Radiant Dawn. It ha okay, all of the games have had a map save feature, which is just, you know, I'm going to suspend this and come back to it later as if nothing happened. And, you know, it's a temporary save. It goes away when you start playing again. Radiant Dawn mm -hmm. just had a turn-by-turn -turn map save. You could save every turn if you wanted. And you could, you know, pick that up, fuck it up, and just go back to the save. And this mm -hmm. made all the, you know, hardcore, I love Nintendo different difficulty kind of people get all kinds of shitty at it. Aww. I thought it was great, frankly. It just shifted 
the the balance of what you had to be concerned about because now it's a case of you know I could uh I could turn by turn save myself into a situation that I really shouldn't have because now this character is up here and oh fuck I really need them to be over there and uh and it meant you could just take stupid chances now and then <laughs> not necessarily because you'd save scum it but just because it gave you the confidence to take a stupid chance <laughs> you go ah let's just go out there and see what those characters are up to you know. I, I, I gotta say, that sounds like an interesting... The, the idea of people being offended at other people having an accessibility option. Oh, totally. That's gonna happen with any game that's famous for being difficult, though. Yeah, it's sadly true. Remember when Remember when uh, From Software said that Dark Souls 2 is gonna be more accessible? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of thing that, that shitty gamers lose their shit over. Um... <laughs> If anyone is listening who gets all pissy when someone else is allowed to have an easier time with a game, grow the fuck up. <laughs> yes, listener. You hear that? I said if. I don't think any of our listeners are those kinds of people, but if they are, or if no. they've stumbled upon this somewhere, or if they've been referred by a friend who's not really a friend because they're kind of a jerk, <laughs> just, you know, take it under consideration. Yeah. Uh, here's a question, Fox. Uh, if I wanted to play another Fire Emblem game, which one would you recommend? Hmm, as much as I'm not super fond of Awakening, it probably is the next best one. Um, it's very forgiving, um, and it gives you a lot of control. Well, for starters, you can turn off permadeath if you fancy. Um, it just straight up gives mm-hmm. you a choice between classic mode and, uh, uh, I think it's modern and classic or something. They, they, you know, didn't go out of their way to make fun of you for taking the easier version. <laughs> Um, Play it between reasonable and not so reasonable mode. <laughs> and for all that I have some problems with the visual depictions uh, and a couple of the ideas and the general heteronormativity of it, um, it still has some characters who I really have to love uh, and some very cool stuff and just a crazy ridiculous power trip by the end of it. Um, it has something which I don't think has appeared in many Fire Emblem games. This may be the first. I don't know for sure. Probably not. They, they didn't do a lot of original stuff with Awakening. It was more of a greatest hits album. Um, but you can... The class changing seals, you can also just use to reset your current class to zero. So you can just go, I don't have enough stat bonuses yet. Let's do it again. So you can max <laughs> every character. And you can play for as long as you like. There are recurring grinding maps. There are recurring random monsters. You can play the game for as long as you want and become as powerful as you want, basically. Um, one other thing about Awakening that might be just unconscious to you, it's on the 3DS. Oh, yeah, some of the right. older ones are, are harder to access nowadays because, yeah. well, I mean, Shadow Dragon got remade on the DS, so you can still play that on a current console. Um, Path of Radiance is very hard for us to get access to because we needed a PAL copy for the Wii. Uh, Sorry, no, an a NTSC copy for the PAL copy for the GameCube. Right, yeah. Uh, they regularly sold for about $180 on eBay. Um, I held out and got one for 80 in the end, which is probably the best deal I've ever gotten on a game. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Certainly for the amount of playtime I've poured into that thing. Um, and also the series, I think I said this before on the show, but the series belongs on handhelds. Yeah. People made a big fuss when it came back to home consoles, but it's exactly the kind of game you should be able to carry around rather than That's you know, exactly, yeah. go and sit down on your lounge and play for several hours kind of thing rather than just carry around and flip open and play a few turns when you have time. That is exactly what I was going to go yeah. and mention in that if you have like mobility issues, like if you do need to get up and move around, 
this is a game that can come with you. That, yeah. Or um, if you, you know, just if you have a job you have to go to and, you know, you can play this on the train or... And if you're, and as a turn-based game, it actually handles being on a 3DS really well because when you've, when you're done and you open it up again, all the information is still sitting still for you to reabsorb. You don't have to make fast decisions or anything. Though like it that. is kind of easy to forget what you were doing when you left off. That's true. It happens occasionally you flip open and go, what the fuck is going on there? Oh, you're going to die. What did I do? Oh, what was I thinking? I must have had some kind of plan. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to leave it too long between turns. But uh, yeah, it is definitely the kind of thing you can take several turns at a time if that's the only kind of time breaks you have access to for gaming. Yeah. Um, you can treat it almost like a casual game in that regard. It's like a blend of casual and hardcore because it definitely has hardcore difficulty and it is definitely a hardcore genre. Yeah. But it doesn't make demands of you the way that a lot of hardcore games do. It has some respect for you as a player. Yeah, I guess so. That That is some really nice things to hear about Fire Emblem. There's boob armor in the new one that's coming out, and I hate them for that. Yeah. <laughs> this has always been a series that had really respectable female characters. I particularly like the GameCube and Wii ones for this reason. There's, there's like one character who's actively sexy, and she is both fully clothed and quite flat-chested, which I found to be remarkable and charming. Um, and at the same time, it has fucking gorgeous characters, uh, you know, on both sides of the gender binary. Nothing in the middle, though there is actually a canonical lesbian or two, which is nice. Hmm. Um, but just in general, it, it, you know, takes the remarkable steps of, of putting the armored female characters in armor, just like armor. And, you know, they fight and shit and they don't look stupid. <laughs> and then, you know, they don't have to pop armor and remind us that they're girls by putting all kinds of stupid crap into their support conversations or whatever. It's been a really good series for this for most of its life, and I really hope that's not going to change just because they, you know, started putting a lot more boobies into it. But maybe it won't. And, you know, one way or another, Sully and Kiel are still two of the greatest characters. <laughs> So, until next time, that's been Talon. That's been Jeb. And that's been Fox. And join us next time when I finally won't have anything more to bother you with about Fire Emblem. Lies. It's lies. Lies. All lies. Well, I, I think I have finally talked enough about Fire Emblem. For now. now.